Welcome everyone to season two, episode four of the American Experiment, a republic if you can keep it. A podcast about government, politics, and the U.S. Constitution. In today's episode, we're going to be answering the question, why do we have a two-party system? And as always, we're going to get started with a quiz. All right. Question one. Which one of these political parties was not a real American political party? Mm-hmm. A, the Whig Party. B, the Bull Moose Party. C, the Gold Party. Or D, the Know Nothing Party. Hmm. Um, I'm going to say C, the Gold Party. What made you pick that? I don't know. I was between C and D. Okay. But you're like, bull moose, that's American. I think I've heard you talk about that one. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. I don't know. And the wig party, you're just like, yeah. That's Pretty okay. sure I've heard about that one. Okay. All right. Well, you're correct. There has okay. never been a gold party. Gold has been a major plank of political parties, but never its own party. A major plank? Like a major like platform issue. Oh, okay. Like a major, what should, you know... Regarding currency, should currency yeah. be backed by gold or silver? Okay. Um, or, you know, nothing. Okay. Um, okay. Good job. Question two. Which one of these parties has never won a presidential election? A, the Republican Party. B, the Federalist Party. C, the Whig Party. Or D, the Progressive Party. These are all actual parties. Yes. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to say A, the Republican Party. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Obviously. Um, so we can eliminate A. Did you guys ever feel like when you took tests in school, there was like one answer that was just like testing to see if you were awake? Mm-hmm. That's what that. That's what I want. Okay, so re, uh, progressive or Whig or Republican, Federalist, okay. Whig or progressive. I'm in between Whig and progressive. I feel like I'm gonna say what? What? <laughs> progressive, just because I don't know much about that one. And you know a lot about the Whig party. No, I don't know much about any of them really. Okay, well. You're correct. Really? The Progressive Party never won an election. Okay. We'll talk about them a little further on, but um, they were uh, probably the most major third party in American history, hmm. um, also known as the Bull Moose Party. Mm. We'll talk about them a, a little further on. Okay. Really, the Progressive Party is their, their more formal, okay. formally correct name. But it doesn't sound as cool as Bull Moose. No. All right. Question three. How many times has a candidate not from one of the two major parties, won the presidency. And so, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, those parties may have changed over time. Yeah. But how many times has someone not from one of the two major parties um, won the presidency? Okay. A, zero. B, once. C, twice. Or D, eight times. Hmm. There's such a jump from two times to eight times. Yeah, it's true. Mm, So... For that reason, I'm going to say eight. Eight? Times, yeah. D, eight? Yeah. Uh, no. Zero. It has never happened. Really? Never, never happened. Never? Yep. So interesting. Um, the parties have changed, but mm-hmm. the, you know. Yeah. The It's always been from one of the main from parties. From one of the main parties, yeah. yeah. Uh, question four. 
how many representatives not from one of the two major parties are currently serving in Congress. So how many congressmen... How many, like, third-party congressmen are there? Essentially, yes. Or fourth or that fifth That would be, like, an easy, an easy way of asking the yeah. question. <laughs> how many members of Congress are not a the, Democrat the, or a right. Republican? Okay. Um, a, zero. Mm-hmm. B, two. C, 15. Or D, 34. Hmm. I'm going to say... It can't be 34. That's too many. <laughs> okay. And I know there are, like, what, 50 Democrats now? In the Senate. In the, Wait, are you talking about the Senate? In the House and the Senate. In, oh, and combined? Oh, goodness. Okay, maybe that changes things. Okay. Um, okay, so we're talking, like, 500-ish people. You know how many exact, has how many in no, the Senate? How many in the Senate? 100. How many in the House? I always I forget the House, like, 460-something. 435. Oh, okay. 14. So, 535 voting 535. members. 535. See, I said 500-ish. Yeah, no, no, you are close. I just... So, I'm just thinking... This is, like, like my a, chance to keep reminding I'm just everyone thinking in easy numbers, are. though. Yeah. Like, okay. so, like, two... Two out of 500 seems like a bit small. Mm-hmm. So maybe 15. 15. I don't know. I feel like most people are probably aligned to one or the other. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's say 15. 15? Mm-hmm. Final answer? Yeah. That's incorrect. Uh, is it 34? Nope, it is two. Really? Two. Uh. And of those two candidates, or they're not candidates, they're, you know, they're both senators, um... They're not voting senators. No, no, they're, oh, not. Okay. they're voting senators. They're both independents, and but they both align with the, the Democratic Party, so they both, you know, basically line up with the Democratic Party. But um, one of them is Angus King of Maine, and the other one okay. you know very well. He ran for president. Um, Rubio. No. Cruz. No, he's a Democrat. <laughs> he aligns with the Democratic oh. Party. <laughs> uh. Um. Uh. <laughs> Sanders. Yeah, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> so th- those are the two. That's it. Um, which is kind of shocking, right? That that yeah, two two independents in all of Congress, and that's not um, that's not like an abnormality. That's mm-hmm. like a hot. I I didn't pull the stats for like the past hundred years. Yeah, but that's like as many as it's been since in the past twenty years. So mm-hmm. um, people are are pretty much always a Republican or Democrat. Hmm. All right. Finally, question five. So you're two for four so far. Okay. You're batting 50%, which if you're a baseball player would be pretty good. So, all right. Question five. Which one of these is not a current political party? A, the legal marijuana now party. (laughs) B, the socialist worker party. C, the freedom for all party. Or D, the Green Party. I mean, I'm going to say A, because that just seems ridiculous. But I feel like maybe it's so ridiculous that it's actually true. Yeah. Because who could make that up? <clears throat> so maybe it's D. The Green Party? Yeah. Is that your friend? Um, and what was B? The Socialist Worker Party. Mm-hmm. And then C. Uh, the Freedom for All Party. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like I'm between A and D. Okay. I so feel like either the legal marijuana now party or the green. I party. feel like A is probably like some random party that has like two members, but you found it on some like website, and 
you're like, this would be a cool question. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to say D. D, the Green yeah. Party. That's yeah. incorrect. Uh, the Green Party is the party I expect people would have known on this list. Um, what's the right answer? The Freedom for All Party. Oh. I made that up. Oh, okay. sounds well, very that sounds, Yeah, that sounds like yeah. it. No, be- but there is a legal marijuana now party. There are actually multiple. I think there were like three parties that have marijuana in the name. That's so funny. Um, so there are lots of... Lots of options out there. Um, the Green Party has probably probably been the most, um, I mean, probably between the Libertarian and the Green Party, they've probably garnered the most votes in presidential elections mm-hmm. of any. Still not really a significant number in the grand scheme of mm-hmm. things. But, um, well, those were, those were kind of difficult questions. Um, and I'm kind of using the questions a little differently in this episode. Because the, the question we're tackling is, why do we have a two-party system? And really, these questions are just kind of meant to establish that we do have a two-party system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a third-party candidate has never won the U.S. presidency. Um, mm. If you if you want to debate whether Lincoln was a third-party candidate, I don't think he was. But if you're interested in that debate, listener, I'm here for you. Come find him. Let me know. <laughs> I would love to talk to you about it. You know, we have two... Uh, members of Congress yeah, that are not members of the two major political parties. Right. You know, most people can't even name, like, alternate parties. You know, I, like I said, yeah. I think maybe the Libertarian Party and the Green Party are the only ones that would come to people's minds. Mm. And so I don't think it's... Um, if you're independent, that's not considered a party. Right. That means you don't that affiliate you don't with any party. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. that's just kind of a cop-out, right? Well... I mean, we probably have listeners who don't affiliate with either party. But if you're a Republican... Courtney thinks you're copping no, out if you're an independent. No, so I send, just like... send some hate mail. I guess I don't understand, like, why nice you would be mail. independent. if, like, Because if you're a Republican, you can vote Democrat, right? Well, I, this is and the vice thing. vice versa? This is the thing. I think aligning as an independent is really more saying... I, I think people usually do vote for one party more than the other. Mm-hmm. Just the nature of a normally having a binary choice. But I think people will still register as independent because they just disagree with both of the parties on a, such a substantial number of things that they don't want that, you know, after their name. Mm-hmm. Like they just don't want that affiliation, even if they might end up voting for them at the end of the day. They just don't want to be tagged as... So it's more of like an image thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that's all there is to it, but I think that's really kind of the biggest thing. Yeah. You know, like... Um, you don't want to be known as associated with either yeah, party. Yeah, I mean, I think like the easiest example would be a, a fair number of people said, well, you know, I don't want to be... I don't want to be a Republican if mm-hmm. when people think of being a Republican, they think of Donald Trump. I disagree with him so much. I'm going to be an independent. I'm still going to vote for Republican senators and congressmen. But, you know, I just don't want to be affiliated with the party that supports Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, there are obviously answers. I just think that's the, yeah. the, the easiest stance that Reason, yeah. probably in, in recent mm. history that people sort of in mass say, I, I don't know that I want to be affiliated with this party. Yeah. Um, but there are other reasons. So I think the... I think the main point is pretty uncontroverted that we we 
live pretty solidly in a two-party system. And in this episode, we're going to try to ask why that is. And this is a little bit of a unique episode because we're not really going to be examining the Constitution at all. Um, In our last episode, we talked about what the Constitution does have to say about elections. And, you know, it's a fairly long episode, but the short answer is really not that much. Congress usually, you know, between Congress and the states, they really set most of the election laws. Right. And so I don't think the two-party system stems from the Constitution, but I think it does stem from sort of specific structural factors um, in the United States. So we're going to talk about what some of those factors are. And I think it's also important because everything we talk about the rest of this season with sort of how Congress works is really driven by this assumption of a two-party system. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to try to give an overview of of some reasons why that is the case. Mm -hmm. We're going to start, though, um, interestingly enough, the framers were pretty strongly opposed to the idea of having just a few major political parties. Um, We looked at you know, some of the Federalist Papers where, you know, Madison talks about factions, but it seems pretty clear that they they really didn't like the idea of having like two major powerful political parties duking it out. So if you could read for us, it's a fairly lengthy section from George Washington's farewell address where he talks about this. Um, Go ahead. Political parties serve to organize faction to give it an artificial and extraordinary force to put in the place of the delegated will of the nation the will of a party, often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community, and according to the alternate triumphs of different parties, to make the public administration the mirror of the ill-concerted and incongruous projects of faction, rather than the organ of consistent and wholesome plans digested by common councils and modified by mutual interests." Let me now warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party. It serves always to distract the public councils and enfeebles the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, foments occasionally riot and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, a fire not to be quenched. It demands a uniform vigilance to prevent its bursting into flame. I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh language from Washington. Um, you know, it enfeebles the public administration. It agitates the community. Uh, it foments riot and insurrection. Um, opens the door to foreign influence and corruption. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. You mm-hmm. know, clearly this is a, a pretty negative portrayal of what political parties can do. Uh, John Adams said it even more simply. Um, a division of the Republic into two great parties is to be dreaded as the great political evil. Hmm. Um, so, you know, those are some of the reasons um, that Washington had for why he thought political, you know, a, a two party political system was bad. Um what do you think are some reasons, you know, why do people not like a two party system? I mean, probably because it tends, it could have a tendency to like pit people against each other. And if we're supposed to, you know, we're like one nation, mm-hmm. then ideally everyone would 
see things from the same perspective. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so maybe it just creates a lot of animosity Mm -hmm. among people who are supposed to be working together kind of towards Mm -hmm. the same goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so are you saying you think there should be more political parties or only one? Well, I don't think it's feasible to have one because I think inherently people are going to disagree about how to go. I mean, even from the beginning, right? Like there were, there were, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. You're jumping into so, my, my history section here. <laughs> I mean, like, people are going to just disagree mm-hmm. about how things should be done. And so I think that it's natural to have, to end up having parties. Mm-hmm. But, like, more political parties where they're required to sort of compromise instead of just be be the bigger kid on the block. Is that what you're saying? That it'd be better to have more political parties other than just two? Oh, I'm just trying to tap down to um, what you're saying. I was just trying to answer your question about, like, why why people think there shouldn't be mm-hmm. political parties. Yeah. Yeah, and you were saying, like, there's this animosity, this, like, pitting against yeah. each other. Yeah. Yeah, and so I was saying, like, well, I guess you could have one political have- party where... where Theoretically, at least, people wouldn't be pitted against right. each other. Or or it could just be so normal. Like, maybe we have eight political parties. Right. And it's just normal that you just have to work with other people to get stuff done. Yeah. And so it's not... There isn't that same sort of animosity. Like, it's not like you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. It could be like... Right. You know, you're a Gryffindor or a Hufflepuff. Yeah. Or a Ravenclaw. And, like, fundamentally, I mean, we're, we all... You know, yeah, I think at the end of the day, you can't differentiate too much between parties. Like, you, I mean, because most issues are like pretty two sided. Like, there's not like a third option. You know what I mean? Like, I would say I, that's how I think. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's not accurate. Yeah. But like, in my opinion, it's like, do you like chocolate cake? Yes, I like it. Or no, I don't. Yeah. And if you say, no, I don't, you're clearly in the wrong. But, you know, there's not, yeah. like, a third op. Like, there, yeah. there. I mean, maybe there's a third group of people that mm-hmm. are like, well, I only like chocolate cake if it comes with a glass of milk yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. you know. But I think I think that a lot of policy issues fall in that cat. Personally, I do. Like, I think a lot of policy issues. Like, let's take immigration. Mm-hmm. You know, look at how in presidential elections... You know, it's it's like con- contrasted as either like anyone that wants to be in America should be allowed to be in America to we shouldn't let anyone in America. But there's a huge spectrum of views on immigration. Right. And like most yeah. people probably don't fall at either one of right. those ends of the spectrum. And so, you know, maybe, you, you know, there probably are easily like eight positions yeah. you could take on on that issue. And that's just one. Right. Issue. Right. But I do think we are conditioned to think, you know on a whole range of issues. Like Mm -hmm. if you're a Democrat, you think this about immigration or you Mm -hmm. think this about healthcare or you think this about fill in the blank. Right. Um, And I think part of that's just conditioning of living in a two party system. Yeah. In my opinion, I guess most things could be like for or against, but maybe with a caveat. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if a caveat is enough to like form its own Mm -hmm. political party. Mm hmm. So you're you're kind of saying, like, two parties are kind of good. I just feel... Well, I don't know if I want to say, like, good or bad. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't know, I know if I want to pass a judgment. But I'm just saying, like, I don't see how it could be 
any other way. Mm-hmm. Because if you had, like, let's say you had eight parties, I don't know, to be a member of a party, you have to align on, on like, you would want to align on most of the issues. But mm-hmm. I feel like if you have a caveat on this issue that aligns with this party, but your caveat on this other issue aligns mm-hmm. with this other party, like, how are you going to choose? Like, I think it just... Well, but that's the thing. A lot of countries do have coalition governments. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of countries, it's just, it is normal. Let, let's say we had your family together, you know, and let's say we're deciding, like, where to go to dinner. I might say, like, oh, you know, I agree with Evan that we should go out to eat, you know, at, or we should get pizza tonight. Yeah. You know, but then when we're deciding what game to play, I might say, like, no, I align with Amy on what game we should play. Mm-hmm. And I think I think in some countries, politics is like that. Like, we'll just really easily align Maybe. with whoever has our shared interest. But yeah. it's it certainly... A two-party system certainly doesn't favor that um, hmm. approach. Maybe more people should just be independent. Maybe. And and say, you know, it depends on the issue what I'm going to... Right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so people don't like having two parties because of sort of that animosity. Mm. I think kind of what we were just touching on is... Um, sometimes, like, nothing gets done. Like, even if one party's in power... You know, anyone following the news, the the um, American Rescue Plan just passed the latest stimulus bill, you know, strictly along party lines. Um, so, you know, you really you have to have that majority to, to get things through. And I think people don't like that about a two party system. I think people wish that there was more, you know, bipartisanship. Um, but that's not where we're at. So what we're going to do in this episode is. I'm going to take just a couple minutes to sort of give a very high-level view of, like, how do we get here from John Adams saying political parties are the great political evil. Mm-hmm. Um, although, to be, you know, he was a member of a political party, so right. let's not. Uh, one thing you have to be careful about with the, the framers, always look at when did they say what they said, and did they change their view later in life? Because mm. very often they did. But how do we get from that to, you know, it's just basically a given that we live in in a two-party system. Okay. And then once we've gone through that, we're just going to talk about some of the the reasons that might be the case. So by the end of Washington's second term in office, political parties were already emerging. Mm -hmm. You know, he was elected president unanimously when he served, but... You know, I think most people's reference point for this is going to be, you know, the musical Hamilton, right? Like, you see that there's there were those factions already emerging. You know, there was this right. tension between, uh, you know, what we think of as the Hamiltonian wing and the Jeffersonian wing of the party. And so political parties developed basically right away. You know, as soon as Washington left, he kind of warns against this in his farewell speech. But these political parties develop anyway. And like we're saying, maybe that's just inevitable. You know, people's disagreements are going to come to the forefront in politics. They're not all going to get along. So, you know, initially there was the, whether you call them the Federalists, which was sort of the the Washington Hamiltonian Party, Mm -hmm. um, which was also known as the Administration Party at the time. Mm. And the opposition was known as the Anti-Administration Party. Uh It'd be kind of an interesting... Um, party names to bring back. Are you, you know, part of the administration right. or anti-administration party? <laughs> but pretty quickly it developed into the, the Federalists versus the Democratic Republicans who were led by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. And after, you know, John Adams loses 
the election in 1800. And pretty much the, the Democratic Republicans take over for the next 24 years. Um, it's almost like a one-party system. The Democrat what? The Democratic Republican Party. The Democratic Republican Party. Yeah. Okay. Um, they take over, you know, Jefferson's president, Madison's president, Monroe's president. So the anti-administration party changed into the Democratic Republican Party. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not really a change. It's just, you know, parties have they multiple names. names. Yeah. I mean. I'm just trying to follow, like, which party that is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and that stayed pretty solid. And, you know, even like when James Monroe was president, he almost, I can't remember if it was his first or his second term, but I think he won the electoral college with the exception of like one vote. Mm -hmm. And the person didn't vote for him because he said, well, Washington should be the only person who got a unanimous, Mm. you know, electoral college vote. Mm -hmm. But then the the political party scene is, is shaken up uh, by Andrew Jackson in the election of 1824. And, the parties kind of realigned, and so the Whig Party developed um, following John Quincy Adams and Henry Clay, who was Speaker of the House for a long time, versus the Democratic Party under Andrew Jackson. And uh, those parties really dominated American political life until the start of the Civil War. Um, and around that time, the, the the Whig Party was kind of dying, and the Republican Party kind of came out of its ashes. And since the 1860s, since the Civil War, Mm -hmm. you know, the two major political parties have been the Republican and the Democrat parties. Mm -hmm. The one thing I really want to note about those political parties, you know, we've had those two political parties since at least 1860. The Republican Party started, you know, a little earlier than that. Those parties have changed a lot over time. And so... Always caution people, like if you're reading about what what was this party like um, 80 years ago or 120 years ago, like the parties have changed a lot over time. Like, mm. Issues that were important to them, the stances they took on on particular things, yeah, and uh, that's its own historical lesson. But you know the the parties have stayed the same, and kind of the big historical takeaway from that, uh, other than just establishing, they're really just have been two major political parties at any given point in time is that the fact that there are two political parties means those parties are able to change Mm -hmm. a lot. So as far as like what those party platforms are, where they stand on particular issues, you know, those two parties are trying to capture the entire share of the electorate. Mm -hmm. And so this inevitably pushes the parties to like try to capture the majority of people. Right. And so if you study a party over, you know, 20 years or 30 years, whatever the case may be, you'll see them like adopting more and more issues of the other party if they're they're falling out of power for an extended period of time. Hmm. Um, so one interesting example, I, I've just been reading about FDR and the Great Depression and World War II. And uh, there was kind of a, a, a fairly stark contrast when he first came into office between the Democrats and the Republicans. Mm-hmm. But the longer he was president and the more the New Deal policies were, were pretty popular, the Republican Party kind of adopted a lot of those policies. Even though at the beginning, you know, they were very concerned about some of these New Deal programs, you know, stuff that we take for granted today, like Social Security. They just they eventually adopted them and said, OK, you know, People generally think this is a good idea, so we're going to shift our party platform. Yeah. 
And so the fact that there are two parties means it's pretty easy for the parties over a fairly long period of time to adjust their political views to try to capture a larger share of the electorate. Right. I think a big thing to understanding the two-party system is they're always kind of guessing at at how big of a share of the pie they have, Mm -hmm. but they're always just trying to capture more than the other guy. Like the majority. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, like, you know, you've probably heard that joke where the the two guys are in the woods and uh, what? I think I have heard it, but you can tell okay. it. Um, these two guys are, are in the woods camping and they hear, you know, a bear crashing through the underbrush. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one guy starts running and he looks back and he sees his friend is lacing up his running shoes. And, you know, he says, why are you doing that? And his friend says, like, well, I only have to outrun you. Right. And that's kind of how political parties work yeah. in a two-party system. You know, you just have to do better than the other guy. You just have to capture the the... the People that the other party aren't getting. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's more of an issue when you have two parties because control really matters. You know, if you're in second place, unless you're in a society where bipartisanship matters a lot, um, or unless, you know, you need members of the other party to make a vote, mm-hmm. you're kind of just doing it on your own. Um, yeah. So that's, that's an inevitable function of that. So let's talk about some of the reasons why additional political parties would be difficult in our current system. I think the most significant reason, hands down, is the way that the that our electoral system is structured. Yeah. So let's talk about it from the perspective of the House of Representatives. Okay. So generally, all you need to do to win an election is you need to win a plurality of the votes. Right. And that means... You just have to win the most. You don't have to win a majority. You just have to win a simple majority of the votes to win, which just means, you know, you have to come in first. Right. But you don't have to get more than 50% of the votes in in most states. Mm -hmm. And so this means that you can have candidates who win elections, you know, who win 40% of the vote or 35% of the vote. And there are, you know, there are other ways you could structure this, which we'll talk about in a second. But the fact that you only have to win a plurality of the vote to win an election, you know, sets it as a a lower or easier bar. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to win the votes of of even the total majority of people, just that simple majority. Right, right. And that especially coupled with the fact that we have what are called single member districts in the United States. So we were talking about how districts worked in our last episode. And, you know, in every congressional election, there's only one winner. Mm-hmm. So if you run and, and think about how close so many elections are, mm. you know, you run and you win 48% of the vote, you know, and your opponent wins 47% of the vote. And then, you know, there are write-ins or, you know, a candidate from a third party runs, you know, and they win a, a small percentage of the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, only the person who wins the majority of the vote takes over. And so that inherently pushes people t- to narrow the field of who is running um, in a particular election. Because if you're a third party candidate, you know, you have to outperform the people from the other parties, hmm. which which goes a pretty, you know, pretty long way to, to keeping you from being able to win. Right. Uh, but then also, like, there's no reward 
for second or third place. Mm -hmm. There's no benefit. There's no participation trophy. Yeah, there's no participation trophy. (laughs) So, you know, if you run, you know, if one person runs and gets 30% of the vote and one person runs and gets, you know, 34% of the vote and another person gets 36% of the vote, yeah. 36% of the vote gets you the seat. Right. Um, why that matters, uh, well, maybe maybe to, to help illustrate why that matters, let's talk about some alternative ways you could do things. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of ways you could restructure electoral systems. One way you could do it is you could create bigger districts that reward, uh, you know, people from other parties. So if you think about it, you know, in a single member district, if you win you know, a majority of the votes, you get, you get the seat. And if you don't, you lose. But if you want to look at it that way, let's say one person wins 60% of the vote and one person wins 40% of the vote. That means 60% of the people in that district, their person is representing them, but 40% of the people aren't. Yeah. And so that makes, you know, a lot of people feel disconnected from their representative. Mm -hmm. That makes them feel like, well, it doesn't really matter if I show up and vote. And that's even more exacerbated if you're supporting a third party candidate. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say you go, the Republican wins 50% of the vote, the Democrat wins 40% of the vote, and your guy, the independent, wins 10% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Unless he's able to massively increase his share of the vote, you're never going to get representation. Yeah. And so, like, there's no way for that person to sort of have an easy track to get in. Mm-hmm. But you could have bigger districts where, you know, you say, we're going to have 10 representatives from this district. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you get 50% of the vote, you get five candidates. If you get 40% of the vote, you get four candidates. And if you have 10% of the vote, you get a candidate. So that would be a really um, easy way that would incentivize people from more political parties. Because it's not you have to get over this. You have to get to the majority to get representation. Right. Your representation would be proportional. And that's what it's called, proportional representation. Uh Oh. Oh. So well done. Wow. Look at me pulling that word out. That's one way you could do things. You know, another way you could do thing is you, things is you could provide, like, a ranked choice voting system where you could say, mm. you know, there are four candidates. You yeah. know, there's a Republican, a Democrat, an Independent, and another Independent. Green Party. You know, yeah, Green Party <laughs> and a Libertarian. And you might say, you know, I, I love the Green Party. I'm... You know, you didn't know what it was till today, but you you're like this. This is my Sounds party, um, and so you would you know, you could rank them. You could say you know Green Party, Libertarian, Democrat, Republican, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, two, three, four, and then the way that those you know rank choice voting systems work is they tally up the vote and they you know they say well you know nobody else voted for the Green Party. You know, they didn't meet the threat. Let's say you have to have ten percent of the vote. So we're then we're gonna we're gonna factor in, you know, your second your place second choice, choice or your yeah. third choice. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of at least gives people an opportunity to say, This is who I really want, but if I don't get them, then I'll go for this person. Isn't you that know? how the Oscars work? People vote. I think they just changed to doing that, didn't they? I don't know. But I think that's I I was thinking that's how the Oscars like people voting on Oscars nominees. Yeah, it might be. Choose, like, their top three choices or something. It, yeah, and then it sort of... It, it makes it more of a consensus pick, right? Yeah. Is the idea that, like, right. it factors in people's preferences, but it also doesn't punish you. You know, I would argue mm-hmm. that the system now, if, if you know, if you're... I, I think the reason that a lot of people don't vote third party, and this is kind of getting 
ahead of myself, but they feel like it's a wasted vote, right? right? Like I could this I really prefer this person, but if I vote for this person, then someone that I really don't like is going to win, and so yeah. I would rather, you know, vote for someone that I don't like as much. Right. And ranked choice voting is is one way you could get at that. There are a ton of ways that electoral systems can be changed and uh, we could do multiple episodes on that. Mm-hmm. But the big point that I want to make there is just that sort of how you configure the electoral system does lead to some like predictable outcomes. And one of those is when you have single member districts with, um, you know, requiring just a plurality of the votes to win, it's pretty typical that you result in two major parties. Mm-hmm. This could be a good thing. You could say, well, we have two parties, so maybe they have to compromise more because there are just two of them. You know, maybe the parties move towards the center more, ultimately, because they're trying to capture, you know, those elusive centrist or moderate voters. Yeah. You know, maybe the parties are more effective. Uh, maybe those smaller districts mean that your representative has a better handle on what's going on in your geographic area. Um you know, but but maybe on the flip side, if you had districts and more people were represented, people would be more motivated motivated to go vote because they would feel like someone with my political views is representing me. You know, and maybe more political parties would lead to to more compromise. You know, mm-hmm. because people would be used to doing that. It's really interesting to speculate on those things, and the American system could be it could be ripe for adjustments to the electoral system, mm-hmm. but. Fundamentally, I think that is the the biggest reason that we have a two-party system is just that that those factors sort of inevitably push us towards two major political parties. So what does it look like for the presidential elections? Is there anything that makes it similar for presidential elections? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the Electoral College has a a somewhat significant impact on rewarding the two-party system. Mm-hmm. Um in presidential elections. To win the presidency, this is something I know we'll revisit down the road, but it's not just a matter of winning the most votes. Yeah. You know, it's it's a matter of winning states right. and the electoral votes that... The electoral that, college votes. Right, that flow from those states. Mm-hmm. And so it certainly makes it harder from a practical perspective. You know, if you're running as a third-party candidate, you know, you have to comply with all those individual state um, mm-hmm. requirements to get on the ballot. Um, you know, you have to have money to show up in all those states. Right. Um, and then you have to actually, like, win the majority in those states. It's not just a matter of saying, you know, well, you know, we won 30% of the vote in Iowa. You know, if mm-hmm. if you didn't win the plurality, you get right. nothing. It's all or nothing, yeah. Um, and so I think that also influences mm-hmm. how things fall out. I, I think probably the best recent example of this is um, when Ross Perot ran for president in 1992, I mean, and he ran again in, in 96, but in, in 1992, he won about 19% of the vote, of the popular vote, and zero electoral votes. Mm-hmm. You know, which is not the majority, you know, he wouldn't have been president, but there's there's no, like, level of representation showing up in that. And so I think that that does make it more difficult for third-party right. candidates. Um, it's really difficult even, I was just counting, since the Civil War, 
only five third-party candidates have received electoral votes mm. at all. Mm. Um, and so there are plenty of elections where a third-party candidate runs, but they, they just, yeah, you know, you have to they win in individual shot, states, really. let yeah. alone all the individual states. Right. Or, you know, enough to, to get to the... So would there be a way to, like, do the same thing that you were talking about with districts, like to split the electoral college votes... Well, I, you know, I think the presidency is harder. One, because you're only going to have one winner unless you really right. radically restructure the system. And so let's save our discussion on that for our episode on the Electoral College. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think it just fundamentally comes down to the debate. Should we have the Electoral College or should we just go with the popular vote? Mm-hmm. Which I know you have strong, strong feelings bubbling underneath the surface on. So... We'll, I mean, they're we'll they're whole, lukewarm. We'll take feeling. a whole episode to talk about yeah about that. Um, interestingly enough, the most successful third party attempt attempted presidential run was in 1912, mm-hmm. where Teddy Roosevelt, who had been president, he was really dissatisfied with his successor, William Howard Taft, and he ran a, a, a you know with the Progressive Party also known as the Bull Moose Party, against Taft and Woodrow Wilson. And he captured a, you know, a significant share of the popular votes and electoral votes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's really a bad, maybe bad is the wrong word, but an unhelpful person to look to as an example for a third-party run because you know he was a quite popular president in his own right, and so he had a significant amount of... Um, media attention and like the Mm -hmm. the sorts of things that third party candidates are going to struggle to get. My guess is, you know, if a third party candidate captured the presidency, it would really need to be someone who has that built in base of like people knowing who they are. Right. Right. Having money to run. Yep. Yeah. So my guess is it would be limited to someone with, you know, deep pockets, big name recognition. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but also you have to thread that needle of you can't just be taking votes away from one party as a third party can't you know you have to you have to be taking from both parties to capture so so you're not just losing you know right. you're not just splitting the votes of one party yeah you have to appeal to both both parties so quite a difficult task and and no one has managed to do it in american history that kind of goes to this third point which is is just money and publicity you need a lot of money to get on the ballots in multiple states, especially when it comes to presidential elections. It's just really expensive. Understanding what all of the different requirements are is quite difficult um, in all the specific mm-hmm. areas. And just, you know, name recognition. Mm-hmm. If you look in any election, um, you know, it feels like a crowded field in the, the pr- presidential primaries. But there are always so many candidates running that you don't even hear about. A good example of this is Georgia had a, um, that that Senate race we were talking about last time that was a an open primary, and I think there were like twelve candidates on the ballot running. You know, and there were three that had a serious shot: Raphael Warnock, um, Kelly Leffler, and uh, Doug Collins. Ended up getting you know far and away the, the biggest chunks of the vote. Yeah, but. There were candidates that it was like, I'd never heard of them. Right. And and I looked up their campaign websites and some of them, I thought, well, I understand why this person doesn't get any media coverage. (laughs) 
but you know it's it is it's difficult to break through if you don't already have that name recognition yeah and one easy way you get that is by affiliating with a party right. you know because if you have an r after your name or if you have a d after your name people kind of know where you stand where you stand yeah. and they already have an assumption about whether or not they align with you uh-huh. on a particular issue the fourth set of things is just third parties are often intentionally or unintentionally suppressed at the local level and at Congress. So this can look like look like things like, you know, how do people get on the ballot? Could you, you know, could I just show up and say, print my name on every ballot? Mm-hmm. You know, I I want a chance to be the representative. Yeah. And the answer is no, you know, could be because there's no way you could administer that. Like if a hundred people yeah. decided to do that, think about how confusing your ballot would be. Mm-hmm. So I think, as far as I know, every jurisdiction has restrictions on, like, well, how can you get on the ballot? So there are filing deadlines, you know, that people have to know about. There are usually signature requirements. Like, you have to get X number of people saying, we want you to be on the ballot. Yeah. And those things can serve really good purposes, but they can also deter a lot of people from running. Right. There's also the issue of public funding for some elections. And so people will get money based off of how their political party did in the last election. And so if you're running it, you know, in an established party, you can kind of already show a track record of this is how we've done. Yeah. But if you're running for a party that doesn't have any track record, you know, they're they're not going to want to give out public money to, you know, Joe down the road who's running on some crazy platform unless you've established, well, a bunch of people are voting for me. You know, I'm I'm worthy of it. Yeah. And so you have to put that money out up front and then, you know, get some of it back later. So so that makes it a lot more mm-hmm. difficult. And then a, another really practical thing is, and this is just a congressional rule, is that in order to get committee assignments, which we'll talk about in two episodes in Congress, you have to affiliate with a party in order to get seated on committees. So even if you make it to Congress, there's so much control by those parties in Congress that there's a lot of pressure to be a member of those parties. Yeah. Hence why people like Angus King and and Bernie Sanders, you know, affiliate with, with the Democratic Party, mm. among other things. And then I think the the final reason is really just, we've kind of said this multiple times, but it's just entrenchment. Mm. You know, these parties have been around for a long time. Everyone knows who they are. They have a lot of institutional power and authority. Um, and so it's, it's just really hard to create something new from that that is by its nature, sort of striking against the power of those organized institutions. And those big parties uh, aren't going away soon. So, you know, I think kind of the my conclusion, you know, for this episode is the two-party system is not going anywhere unless there are some pretty significant structural changes to it. I think if you see any exception to this, my guess is it would be maybe the right third-party candidate could win the presidency. Yeah. If it was someone who, like we said, had a lot of money and name recognition. Right. Um, maybe. It's never happened before, but maybe that could happen. But it seems pretty unlikely. And so, it, it, you know, it looks like for the foreseeable future, we will be seeing the same two political parties, you know, continuing to shift in their views over time and adjust and continue to try to capture the majority of mm-hmm. of the population and uh, the two-party system that we've had you know, basically since the beginning, we'll we'll probably be continuing well into the future. Mm -hmm. So what do you guys think about our two-party system? Let us know. Send us an email. 
at theamericanexperimentpodcast at gmail.com and let us know what your thoughts are. And we hope you join us next time when we talk about congressional structure. We'll be talking about where does Congress meet? When does Congress meet? How is congressional leadership organized? So we'll finally actually be getting into how Congress works.